Let's get started. All right. So before we look at our passage, let me give you a little introduction to what we're going to be doing this semester, and then a little introduction to this specific passage. Uh, if you've noticed, and I'm sure that you have, there has been pretty much one thing and one thing only posted on Facebook for the last, what, month, two months, three months, maybe more. It's been dominated by what? Yeah, the ice bucket challenge, right? That's all anybody posts. It's all over the place, the failed ice buckets, the, the good ones, whatever. And so if you know anything about it, right, it's, the, uh, it's essentially to raise awareness for ALS, awareness and money for ALS, which is uh, maybe more commonly known as Lou Gehrig's disease, right? Lou Gehrig was, if you don't know, who does not know who Lou Gehrig is? Just curious. Okay. All right, so most everybody knows Lou Gehrig was a uh, baseball player for the Yankees in like the 1930s. Arguably the most famous baseball player, and you've got to understand that he was called the Iron Horse, right? He went over 2,000 games without missing a single game. 14 years, he showed up to work every day. He never got hurt. He was, he was, the, uh, he was the staple of baseball. And then all of a sudden, one day, he's not going to be there. And if you've ever seen, you've probably, you've probably seen his farewell speech, Right? It's the one, YouTube it if you hadn't seen it, it, it's incredible. You know, the stadium, that microphone's echoing, today, 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 I consider myself, you know, the luckiest man on the face of the earth. And it's this powerful speech, and it's his farewell speech. And it's so powerful because he was there every day, right? The nation's about to face, uh, is looking down the, the barrel of war. They're about to go to war. Um, baseball, you know, back then really was the na nation's pastime. He was their hero. And then all of a sudden, he's, he's going to be gone. And so they pack Yankee Stadium, and it's utterly silent. Because what do you get in somebody's farewell speech? Right? They've all come to hear and to hang on every word, really thinking the thoughts of, what's going to happen now? How, really, how is baseball going to continue? How, what's going to happen to this guy? What's going to happen to... What's going to happen next? And in a little, a little bit, I want to use that as an illustration of what we're going to study this semester. We're going to go through John 13 to John 17, which is called the Farewell Discourse. And it is essentially Jesus' farewell speech to His disciples. To His disciples then... Those 12 guys, because think about it, they have been with Jesus for three years, every day, day in, day out, and now he's told them he's going to be leaving, and they're going to be on their own. And so they're about to face the prospect of living in this, this hostile world, and yet supposing, supposed to be ministering to a hostile world, and their hero is not going to be there. How do you do it? What is every day for the rest of their lives and our lives going to look like with Jesus not there, but yet we're supposed to follow him? And so what he goes on to tell them in this farewell discourse is exactly what they need to hear, and I want to suggest exactly what you and I need to hear to get through everyday life. 
whether if you're a follower of Jesus, right? Then that's the position you're in. You're following Jesus and he's not physically here. And this life is really hard. How do you get through it? If you're not a believer, or if you're not sure where you are, what a great opportunity for you to come week in and week out and hear what Jesus really is all about. Because somebody in their farewell speech is going to bring it to a point, right? They're going to give you, they're going to give you the foundation of what, of what they're all about. So that's what we're going to study this semester. And before we read this passage, I want to give you just a little taste of what we're about to read. What's going on in this particular, the very beginning here? And I want to go at it like this. I think all my illustrations tonight, by the way, are from TV or movies. So probably says a lot about me, but whatever. Is anybody familiar with the show Suits on USA? Yes, we have. Okay, that is a lot more than I thought. I like it a lot. I assume you do too. It sounds like you do. Suits is a great show for whatever that's worth to you. But basically, the, uh, the basic premise is that you have this, you have Harvey, who's this hotshot lawyer, right? New York attorney, and he never loses. He's, you know, he's always, you know, firing on all cylinders. Nobody beats Harvey. But his, uh, he basically hires this guy, this sort of hotshot kid that never went to law school, but he's brilliant. Photographic memory, and he can basically hang with Harvey, but he's the new kid. And so they're, they're buddies, but they're always jockeying back and forth, trying to one-up each other, sort of. But one's the boss, and one's the, you know, the brand new hire. And so one, one of the episodes that I, as I was working on this, was stuck in my mind. Uh, basically, the, uh, the hot shot, the new guy, um, oversteps his bounds a lot. He keeps trying to show off. And so Harvey finally looks at him and says, look, Mike, here's the deal. I am here, and he puts his hand right about his about eye level, and he says, you are here, and he puts his hand about a foot below, and he says, that's the deal, right? He's telling Mike, look, if this is going to work, if this relationship is going to work, it's only going to work like this, if you understand our dynamic, that I am above you, right? He's laying down the foundation saying the only way this is going to happen only way we can relate to each other is this way. And I want to suggest to you that that's exactly what Jesus is saying and showing in this passage. Though it is the opposite, right? That Jesus actually has to serve us. And by that I mean, I don't mean he has to serve us and that he's required to, but that if we're going to relate to Jesus, he must serve us. We must submit to his service. So let's look at our passage. John 13, 1 through 11. This is God's word. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, And that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, 
What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. The grass withers, flowers fade away, but the word of God stands forever. So let's pray before we dive in and consider it further. Heavenly Father, these are your words. Uh, You speak to us. Even now, through them, and we pray that as their author, that you would be their teacher, that you would be with us tonight by your Holy Spirit, and you would open these words up, and that you would open up our hearts to believe, our ears to hear, our eyes to see, so that we might leave this place different from the way in which we came in. Father, the only way that will happen is if, is if you work, and so we beg you to confidently, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so again, what I want you to see from this passage is that Jesus is essentially saying to his disciples, to anybody that's going to follow him, the only way that this is going to work, me and you, right? The only way it can work is if I, Jesus, serve you. It has to be that way. That's the foundation of the Christian life. It's the foundation of the gospel, It's the only way it can work is that if first and foremost you allow Jesus to serve you. So I want to look at Jesus' service tonight very quickly uh, along three lines. I want to ask three questions about Jesus serving his people. First, what is Jesus' service? What does he do? Secondly, how does he serve? What's the character of it, the manner And then thirdly and finally, why does Jesus serve his people like that? So first, what is his service? What is it that Jesus does? Well, it's pretty obvious, and it's it's really the heart of this passage. We see Jesus do something that's probably pretty strange to me and you. We don't do a lot of this today, right? But he washes his disciples' feet. So what's going on? Well, you've got to understand that in, in first century Palestine, right, in this day and time, you got to think about this. There were no nobody wore Nikes and Uggs and you know whatever you got. There weren't even any Chacos or Tevas or anything like that. You basically wore sandals, and they were again not fancy sandals, but just something to keep your feet off off the ground, right? And in addition to that, you didn't have paved roads like we have today. So pretty much everything was uh, you know dusty, dirty, you walked everywhere, you didn't take public transportation, no bus, no car, obviously. And so you walked. You walked in sandals on a lot of dust, a lot of dirt, and you have to imagine what ends up in the street, right? Things that you don't want in your house, no indoor plumbing, of course. So a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of stuff, garbage, things that you don't want in your house end up in the street. And that's what you walk through. And so you can imagine, it's hot. You know, I know what my chacos smell like, right? It's it's a little personal here, but I know what my chacos smell like just after a few days of just walking around in, you know, 2014 in America. So you can begin to imagine how nasty your feet would be if you walked around in those conditions all the time. 
And so when you showed up, it was very typical that when you showed up in someone's house, that they would have someone, uh, the lowest of servants, to wash your feet because you smelled terrible. And so someone would come and, and wash your feet and sort of make you more presentable. And evidently, nobody's willing to do that in this group. They're all sitting around. Nobody else wants to do it. And so what we see is that Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. And we're going to talk about this. We're going to lay on this in just a minute. How, in one sense, crazy this is. One of the, one of the commentaries that I read said that there is no evidence, not one, evidence, one piece of evidence of a superior ever washing the feet of an inferior anywhere else in this day and time. Certainly not in the Bible. In no other form of literature, it it just did not happen. It was reserved for the lowest of the low of the slaves. But Jesus did it. The other disciples didn't even want to stoop to wash each other's feet But here we have Jesus, who is the master, and he washes his disciples' feet. So what's the point? Well, it's clear that Jesus is doing something to show them, and and us by extension, about what he has come to do. Right? He didn't, he's not just making their feet clean and so we can get on with dinner. He's trying to make a point. And his His washing the disciples' feet is a pointer to what he's come to do in washing his people clean from their sin. Okay? Let me give you a couple of of scriptures that back that up. That what Jesus is doing in washing his feet, it's a pointer to his humiliating death. Right? He's humbling himself to wash their feet. He's going to humble himself in death on the cross to make them and us spiritually clean. Listen to Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross." He's helping them and us understand what the cross is going to be about. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Uh, basically, he says, um, kind of cut to the chase here, he gives this long list of sins, right? Sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, on and on. And he, and he says, and that's what you people were. And he says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. You see what he's saying? Paul very clearly is tying the forgiveness of sins to washing. This washing is a pointer to the forgiveness of sins. So we could sum it up like this, that what Jesus has come to do is to make you clean. He's come to to take the dirt in your life The dirt in your heart, the the stain that's on your your record, he's come to take that and wipe it away. And not just wipe it away and make it neutral, but to make it clean, to make it shine, right? For some reason it makes me think about, about, I don't have a tattoo, 
But it makes me think about having a bad tattoo. Right? A friend of mine uh, from college, she told me about a, a, you know, they go on their high school spring break, and you know, who knows why he got this tattoo, but he basically wakes up the next morning and realizes that he has spring break 98 tattooed all across his shoulders. Right? Just big block letters right there. Spring break night, not just spring break, like you might get away with that, right? Evidently you're really in the spring break, but no, spring break 98. So you could, you could imagine how bad you would want that to come off, right? How desperate you would be to think, because every tattoo says something about you, right? Whether you like it or not. Um, maybe you've seen, uh, what is it, the uh, girl with a dragon tattoo? You might have seen that. It's a pretty tough movie. Uh, basically, it's this um, sort of uh, orphaned, homeless girl, anyway, and she has this caseworker who uh, takes advantage of her and rapes her. This horrific scene. And so she ends up, he continues to take advantage of her, and she basically goes and uh, traps him and ties him down and tattoos across his chest, I am a rapist. And he's desperate to get it off. You can imagine, he's, he's you know, visiting a, a tattoo removal sites. Why? Because that very clearly says something about him. Right? That he doesn't want anybody to know. And I'm going to guess that if you're like me, you, you can resonate with that. You know what it's like to, have, to be stained. To have something, a scarlet letter, right, that, that you feel like says something about you. That, that actually is true of you. That you really want to come off. Whether it's about your addiction or about your, your past sexual experiences, or about how, you, about how you've uh, betrayed somebody, how badly you treat your roommate, whatever it is, right? Certainly you've, you've got something that you're desperate, that you would love to just, be, to just go away. And what I want you to see from this passage is that's what Jesus has come to do. Whatever it is that you don't want to be true about you, but you know that it is. Jesus has come to wipe that and make it clean. And that's good news. He's come to wash the ways that you've stained yourself and the ways that I've stained myself. Yeah, whatever it is that when you think about it right now gives you that sort of pit of your stomach feeling, you know, where you think, gosh, if anybody knew that. They would not be my friends. Jesus has come to wash that away. Secondly, all right, so we see what Jesus has come to do, what his service is. He's come to make us clean. So how does he do it? Well, he does it in humility. We just talked about this, but we need to focus on it. Because Jesus' humility is so intense here that it, you see in the passage, it incites this really strong reaction from Peter, right? Peter sort of freaks out about this. Now, he's sort of prone to that. But Peter wants no part of this to begin with. You know, he, Jesus approaches him, and Peter, in the Greek, it's, it's even stronger. He's like, he puts like three negative words together. Like, no, you will never in no way wash my feet until the end of the ages. Like, Peter wants no part of this. So what is it that has Peter so freaked out? Well, I think the first thing that we should say is this, that there's a real sense in which Peter's right. Right? 
there's a sense in which Peter really has grasped what's going on here. That Jesus who, you know, in whatever way your mind can catch up to it, that this guy that they follow, that they really believe is God himself, that he's really the God that made him, is now about to stoop and do the most, the most humbling thing you could think of in this culture. That doesn't make sense. So there's a sense in which Peter's right. It just is backwards. This is actually, a lot of people think that this is probably what John the Baptist was thinking about when he says, uh, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You know, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Most people think that's probably what John the Baptist has in mind. John the Baptist, right, good dude, saying, I'm not worthy to wash Jesus' feet. And here Jesus is washing Peter's feet. So why is he so upset? I think we could say it like this, that Peter essentially is embarrassed. And I think embarrassed along a couple of lines that we'll talk about. First and foremost, he seems to be embarrassed for Jesus. He seems to be concerned that Jesus' greatness is being diminished somehow. That this is, this is uh, beneath him. And what he's beginning to realize is that it's almost like it's too radical for Peter, right? It's not supposed to be this way. This is too big of a deal for you to serve me. And what I, what I want you to see is that Jesus is essentially saying, one of the things he wants us to take from this passage is that he's essentially saying, yes. And you actually have no idea how big of a deal this is. It, Peter, you, you actually are right. This is crazy. And it's actually far crazier than you know. So what do we do with that? Right? The, the, the backwardness of this is exactly the point. And what I want you to see is that why that's good news, or what we need to take from that, is that what it does is it shows us how bad the problem really is. That Peter's beginning to realize, if this is what it takes, if this is okay somehow, then the problem must be way bigger than I realize, right? If it takes the Son of God himself to humble himself like this and wash me, then I must have a much bigger problem than I've ever really dreamed of. I thought about it like this again, TV illustration. Anybody seen the show Infested on Animal Planet? It's exactly what you think about uh, they show some profile, some house or business or whatever that gets utterly infested with some sort of something you don't want to be infested with. You know, rodents, bugs, insects, whatever it is. And I saw this episode where uh, this, they lived on an army base and their house was infested with ticks. And now you're not seeing like actual, you know, video, right, CGI stuff, but... They thought that they knew they had a problem, right? Ticks are everywhere. You're finding them on yourself and your kids, and they're on the front of they're everywhere. And so they think they have a problem, so they do a couple of bug bombs and that sort of thing, and it doesn't go away. And so they call the you know army base, the you know house managers, and they say, "Look, you need to come check this out." And so they show up. The guy, the dad of the family, says, "I realized that our problem was a whole lot bigger." When I saw the guys get out of the truck wearing hazmat suits, 
they made us leave for like a week or two weeks. And we came back and a lot of our stuff had like our CDs and our TV and like solid items had melted because of the chemicals that they used. Right? And so what he was saying is that once I began to see the solution to the problem, I began to realize the problem was way bigger than I realized. You know, I thought a little bug bomb would knock it out. And no, we needed people in hazmat suits, right? It looks like some sort of science fiction show. And that is, that's just a little hint of what we're getting in this passage. That if the answer to our problem is the sinless Son of God coming to give His life for us, if that's the solution, then the problem goes way deeper than we ever realize. And in a sense, that's, that's bad news. But what I want you to see is that the pro- and be honest about is that the problem in your heart and the problem in my heart goes way deeper than we tend to think about. Right? We tend to think about it like, like the, the dad. I just need a little bug bomb. I need a little, uh, you know, I need a little remedy here. I need to do a little better. I need to, um, I need to get up a little earlier, read my Bible. I need to make sure I do this and that. And I need to stop doing that. I just need a little, uh, a little fixing up. And that's the way that we tend to deal with ourselves. But the gospel, the good news comes along and says, no, no, no. You are, you are far more hopeless than you've ever imagined. It's way worse than you've ever thought. Your problem goes all the We tend to deal on the surface, right? Gosh, I sure swear a lot. I really need to rein my mouth in and not do that. Gosh, I sure, you know, whatever. And so we tend to, we tend to, um, we tend to deal on the surface level. But what this is showing us is that the problem comes from, from your heart. That the reason you backstab your roommate, the reason your worship is cold, the reason you... The reason you control what you eat, the reason you're addicted to porn, whatever it is, is because your heart is bad. And my heart's the same way. And it goes down all the way to the core. But the good news, the flip side, is that what this means is that Jesus saves people, that he really does save people purely by grace. That we really don't earn it. That we really don't clean ourselves up. Right? They didn't wash their feet and say, now, Jesus, you know, now we're presentable. We're going to talk about that in just a second. That it really is just by grace. It's not anything that we add to it. We can't try a little harder, you know, come to RUF uh, a little bit more, go to a Bible study, you know, make sure we quit drinking on the weekend, whatever it is. That stuff doesn't... That stuff doesn't help us get closer to God in and of itself. Jesus saves people really by grace. I thought about it like this. We have, uh, we have three kids. Lucy is our youngest. She's one and a half. She's awesome. And she's one and a half, so she needs all the help in the world tying her shoes, right? So putting her shoes on. She can't do it at all. And so if I put her in my lap to put her shoes on, she always has this tendency she wants to help, Right? And the only problem with that is it's hurting. And I keep telling her, I always say, let, let daddy drive. Okay, let, let me drive this train, right? 
Because when she helps, when she thinks she's helping, it's actually hurting. It's going in the wrong direction. She really does just need to lay back and let me do it all. And that's what Jesus is showing us in this passage, that his cleansing of us is absolutely by free. Secondly, or a second way that Peter's embarrassed, I think Peter's embarrassed for himself. I think one of the reasons that Peter says, no, 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 you're not going to wash my feet, is he doesn't want, he doesn't want Jesus, this guy that he, he really does love and respect, to, to see how nasty his feet are. I mean, think about how awkward that would be, right? Uh, think about this. What do you do if, if you go to the dentist, which you should, what do you do right before you go to the dentist? Somebody say. Thank you. You brush your teeth. Does that make any sense? It doesn't. Why? Because they're going to do it professionally. That's what you're paying them to do, to clean your teeth. But you and I brush our teeth and do mouthwash. Why? Because we don't want him or her looking at us and thinking like, okay, you're nasty. And we want to fake it a little bit, like to say, I, I have been flossing, right? I brush my teeth regularly, they're clean. We don't want them to see how gross it is. And that's just a little funny example of what we do all the time. And it's certainly what we do with our, our sin, with our real selves, with the junk that's in our heart. It's what Peter's doing here. He doesn't want Jesus to look at him and see like, oh, you, you really are nasty. I thought it would be kind of gross to wash your feet, but this is horrible. And we do the exact same thing, right? And what I want you to see is that Jesus is not, Jesus is not afraid of your dirt. Jesus is not afraid of. Jesus is not embarrassed by the junk in your life and in your heart. And so much from being, not being embarrassed or afraid of it or not wanting to see it, he takes it head on. Not only does he not say like, okay, yeah, yeah, wow, a little bit, a little bit worse than I thought. He gets his hands dirty. Because think about this. You know, it says Jesus takes off his outer clothes, he wraps a towel around him. If he's washing their feet, he you know, starts out with a clean towel. What's that towel going to look like after you wash 12 grown men's, or 11 can't remember if Judas leaves before or after. 11 or 12 grown men feet. Where's all that going to go? So you get the picture, right? Jesus didn't just, you know, wash their feet. He was wearing their dirt. And again, it's just this little, little pointer to the fact that on the cross, that's exactly what Jesus is going to do. He's going to take the dirt in your life, the things that you're embarrassed of, the things that you want to hide and say, no, 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 thanks, that, no way you should wash my feet, right? He's going to take that stuff on the cross. He's going to take it off you and he's just going to wear it. He's just going to get drenched in the filth that you and I have created. And that's good news. It's radical and it's good news. So thirdly and finally and... and very quickly, why does Jesus do that? We've seen what he does for us. He cleanses us. We've seen how he does it. Why does he do it? Well, the passage tells us, look at verse 1. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 
So very simply put, Jesus serves his people. He, he offers his service. He serves you because he loves you. He loves you. And just in case you're thinking like, well, yeah, that's true of these disciples. He's saying that about them. We're going to see, we're going to study this whole 13 to 17. In 17, uh, was it 1720, you know, look it up later. It's very clear when Jesus is praying that he's praying for, he says, I am praying for these people and everybody else that's going to come to know me. And that's you, I hope. And that's me. Right? So what I want you to see is that this passage, this whole farewell discourse, it is, it is how you and I can live everyday life. And he says he does this because he loves them. He loves them to the end. And now the word, you know, in our translation says he loves them to the end. And probably, you know, first and foremost, we think that means up until the end when he died, right? In time, the chronology of it. He loved them until he was dead. And it does mean that. But it actually means it's an all-encompassing word. It really probably better could be translated to the uttermost. In other words, yes, Jesus loved you. He loved his disciples all the way up until the end, and certainly now and forever. But he loves us in the fullest way possible. That Jesus loves you as much as is possible. Think about it like this. Um, as a minister, one of the things you get to do, you get to do weddings, especially a college minister, you know, sort of the, the marrying age. And uh, so I've done, you know, a fair amount of weddings and uh, certainly been to, a, been to a lot and uh, got married myself. And one of, the, one of the, my favorite things is to watch the groom. When the bride is about to come down the aisle, right, she's behind the doors, and the music starts up, everybody stands up, and the doors open. Everybody turns and looks at the bride. Here's a good tip. You ought to look at the groom. Because, you know, take this with a grain of salt. You can tell how much he loves her. You can tell how good of a marriage it's going to be by his reaction. And now when I'm doing the wedding, because you'll learn this about me, I cry all the time, right? I'm just, I'm pretty excited I hadn't gotten choked up yet during this. Maybe I will in this illustration. When I'm actually doing the wedding, like I'm about to say something, I tell myself, don't look at him, don't look at him, don't look at him, right? Because I'm going to look at him, and he's going to be crying, and I'm done. <laughs> and then I'm going to have to start trying to think some like serious thoughts, or like, you know, I don't even really like these people. I need to you know, <laughs> try to think of something, like get mad about something so I can compose myself. And sure enough, you know, last wedding I did... Uh, don't look at him. Don't look at him. And sure enough, I look over and he's, he's this big, you know, tough dude. And he's just misty-eyed and coming down. And I was dead, got it. <laughs> so I'm trying to gather myself, right? Why is he like that? Well, it's very simple and very obvious. Because he loves her. He loves her. He doesn't just like her a lot. He doesn't just tolerate her. He is madly in love with her. He wants to, 
He wants to bring his life and her life together in every way imaginable. Because he loves her. And what I want you to see is that this text says, and it's actually probably the number one illustration of the gospel throughout the whole Bible, marriage. How God loves his people. How Illustration of marriage. How a husband loves a wife. Right? And a wife loves a husband. But what I want you to see this passage is saying is that Jesus loves you like that. And actually even way more. And I want you to just reflect on that for just a minute. That again, he doesn't just like you. He doesn't just tolerate you. He doesn't just enter into, um, you know, because you've believed in him and asked him to cleanse you in sort of this cold contract of like, okay, okay, you sort of did the prayer thing and you're sorry about it and fine, no more sin, right? That he just really loves you. And what I want you to see is that that kind of love will begin to heal you. That whatever it is in your life, the dad that left you, the friend that betrayed you, the person that broke up with you, wherever you felt, wherever you felt that loss, that this is a kind of love that will begin to heal that. Because he loves you to the end, to the uttermost. In other words, this is a love that never comes up short. Because look, let me tell you, being married is awesome. Having good friends is awesome. Having kids is awesome. But all of those things, in some way, will come up short. I sin against my wife and against my kids, and they let me down sometimes, me much more than them. All those things will in some way come up short, but the love of Jesus will never come up short. And that's the good news. And so I want to invite you this semester to come explore that with us. Whether you're a believer or whether this is the first time you've ever heard about Jesus, come and explore that with us. Because that's an invitation to you too. His grace is offered to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of your gospel. Thank you, Jesus, that you would serve us. Though the problem, it's our problem and you fix it. Jesus, help us to trust you. Thank you for your love and your mercy. And we pray it in your name. Amen.